This is section 45 of Newspaper Articles by Mark Twain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Newspaper Articles by Mark Twain, section 45, The San Francisco Daily Morning Call, September 1864, part 6. The San Francisco Daily Morning Call, September 23, 1864. Dedication of Bush Street School. The handsome and costly building lately erected on the corner of Bush and Taylor Streets was dedicated yesterday morning. The first part of the ceremonies consisted of some vocal and instrumental music. Mayor Coon made a plain, sensible speech, pertinent to the occasion, and delivered the keys of the edifice into the hands of Mr. Tate, superintendent of the public schools, who read a carefully prepared and rather interesting document relating to educational matters in the city and county of San Francisco. According to his estimate, there are about 29,000 persons among us under the age of 18 years. Of these, 18,000 were born in California, 6,000 attend the public, and nearly 5,000 the private schools. 2,600 children, old enough to receive instruction, attend no school at all, and would not if they could. And there is a still larger number that would if they could, but are debarred by the want of school accommodations at present. The new Bush Street School contains twelve classes, numbering in the aggregate 760 pupils. Mr. Denman, the principal of the school, followed with a brief but interesting history of the rise and progress of the public school system of San Francisco, and after a song by the girls, the Reverend Dr. Bellows delivered what was probably the ablest address that such an occasion ever called forth, either here or anywhere else. There were two things in his discourse which marked the profound thinker, and which had in them more of significance and matter for serious reflection than all the speeches and sermons we have heard in a year. He said California had been blessed beyond all other lands in her mild and salubrious climate, and she was proud of it and grateful for it. But let her look to it that this blessing be not turned into a curse. There was danger of it. There was unquestionably great and serious danger of it. There was room for profound apprehension for the future of a land that had no firesides. It was around the home fireside, in the midst of the sacred home circle, when the toils and the vanities and the cares of the day were over, and the world, with its pomp and wretchedness, and its sin and show and folly, shut out and forgotten, that those sweet and holy influences were brought to bear that trained young hearts in the love of the good and the abhorrence of evil, first impressions that clung to them, and formed and enabled their characters, and fitted them to mold and purify society and advance the well-being of the state in after-life. He feared for the future happiness of a land without these fireside influences. In another division of his address, the speaker dwelt upon the tremendous responsibilities resting upon those here, in whose keeping was entrusted the moral, religious, and educational training of the young, and said that in California those responsibilities were incalculably greater than in any other section of the Union, for upon them devolved the work of laying the foundation of a society and a government which, at the end of this generation, 
must be delivered into the hands of a community of young men and young women with no old and experienced heads left among them to guide and watch over them with that sound wisdom and judgment which can only be gained by fighting the hard battle of life and with few among their own numbers who have had an opportunity of getting even a theoretical idea of the worldly knowledge and wisdom that would have fallen to them in a land where old men and old women were numerous. He met only youths and maidens, comparatively speaking, in all the walks of life upon this Pacific coast, a section of the world where forty years entitled a man to be called venerable. From his observation of the character and habits and domestic training of the new generation, full of life and activity, and impatient of restraint, which he saw growing up here, debarred from association with age and from wholesome instruction from the experienced, California had need to fear for her well-being when her few remaining veterans shall have passed away and left this great and powerful state, with its mighty interests, in the keeping of a community who are men and women in age, but merely boys and girls in wisdom and experience. This was why he considered that the teachers of the youth on this coast were burdened with heavier responsibility than those of any other land. The task before them is to raise up a great and good people out of an army of youths and maidens springing up in a land where aged men and women are not, and firesides are unknown. Dr. Bellows uttered many a great and original thought during his oration, but none seemed so new and startling, and withal so pregnant with significance as these two which we have attempted to set down here in outline. The spirit of prophecy was upon him. It will be well if California heeds the warning he has proclaimed to her. Sawyer and Mingans Dr. Bellows was followed by the Rev. Mr. Mingans and Dr. Sawyer. Their address contained nothing worth reporting, and only had the effect of postponing the calisthenic exercises of the schoolgirls till two o'clock, thus disappointing many who had come on purpose to see them. Sawyer lauded the board and the building, but he neglected to mention the salaries of the poor teachers, and he abused the newspapers for censuring the Board of Education, warned the people to disbelieve everything editors and reporters published against that spotless body of men. The San Francisco Daily Morning Call, September 23, 1864. Farewell Address of Dr. Bellows. A fair idea of the estimation in which the Reverend Dr. Bellows is held by the people of this coast, and the impression he has made upon them in his patriotic and benevolent labors on behalf of our country and our country's defenders, might have been conceived from the attendance on the meeting last night at Platt's Hall appointed as an occasion for this great and good man to bid a final farewell to the people of California. The house was filled to its utmost capacity, yet not a sound of disorder was heard, nor a breath of disapprobation. The Presidio Band did its part, as usual, unexceptionably, the heirs discoursed being somewhat of a solemn character, selected in adaptation to the occasion. The entrance of General McDowell was greeted with applause. Dr. Bellows was not present when Governor Lowe, the President of the California Branch of the United States Sanitary Commission, opened the meeting with a short address, and consequently other speakers occupied the time until the doctor entered. The Rev. Mr. Grott of Marysville made the opening prayer, and Rev. Dr. Cheney was presented to the audience. 
after speaking of the fame of californians for their work in behalf of the commission their noble and generous contributions referring feelingly to the death of rev star king and stating the impressions he received during a recent visit of four months to the eastern states with regard to the strong current of feeling in favor of the sanitary commission the substantial aid it receives from all quarters the veneration the soldier has for the organization and its agents and then referring to the pluck and the fortitude of the soldier on the field or wounded and maimed in the hospitals he yielded the floor and was followed by rev mr stebbins the successor of dr bellows in the pastorship of the geary street church late star kings dr bellows arrived while mr stebbins was speaking and followed next in order his appearance was the signal for prolonged applause his speech was characterized by that animation of thought and fluency of expression that is peculiar to the doctor his devotion to the cause of the commission of which he is the honored head warmed up in him and the relief of the suffering soldier and the support of the cause in which he is suffering usurped his every thought and lifted his soul above every other consideration he paid an affectionate and mournful tribute to the memory of the late t star king and passed a glowing eulogy on the liberality of californians to the cause of the sanitary commission out of their impecuniosity they had contributed largely he praised the people of this state for their fidelity to the government expressed his confidence in our civil and military heads condoled with us in our present seeming adversity and after exhorting the people to make the ballot-box their paramount object to which the cause of the sanitary commission must be held as secondary in importance breathing his fervent loyalty to the government and declaring his thorough adhesion to the administration he invoked the blessings of heaven on our people and bade his audience an affectionate farewell to hear dr bellows speak was what the people thronged the hall for and as soon as he closed his address without waiting for a formal adjournment they dismissed themselves and the meeting ended the san francisco daily morning call september twenty fourth eighteen sixty four ah so discharged ah so the mathematical chinaman who stabbed ah wong not too litty not too much but just exactly enough to make him uncomfortable was discharged from custody yesterday at the request of the grateful creature who was indebted for his life to his spirit of forbearance and the exercise of his extraordinary anatomical judgment the san francisco daily morning call september twenty fourth eighteen sixty four children at the fair the children of the public schools come in droves and armies to the fair now every day by invitation of the management the children belonging to the roman catholic orphan asylum visited the pavilion yesterday and the pupils of the mason street public school to the number of eight or nine hundred filed into the building during the afternoon a strong force of teachers and exhibitors has to be on hand on occasions like these to keep young america from getting ground up in the machinery the san francisco daily morning call september twenty fifth eighteen sixty four the fair at the fair about seventy of the handsomest young ladies in the state marched in double file into the fair pavilion yesterday morning broke ranks deployed as skirmishers and effected a bloodless capture of the place at five minutes to eleven o'clock 
It was observed that they seemed to take a deeper interest in the pianos and pictures, and especially in the laces and hair-oil and furs, than in the quartz mashers and patent grindstones. It is because their tastes are not fully developed yet, perhaps. They made the only good music that has been extracted from the fine pianos in the art gallery since those instruments have been condemned to public persecution in that place. They played Sweet Home with tender expression and thought of lively Oakland, where they came from, and sighed for the turmoil and excitement of its busy thoroughfares. This detachment of young ladies was from Mrs. Harmon's Pacific Female Seminary, one of the best schools in the state. It is situated about a mile from the city just named. Mr. McClure, Mr. Belder, Miss Wills, Mrs. Harvey, Madame Parot, Miss Cameron, and perhaps other teachers employed in the seminary, accompanied Mrs. Harmon and her pupils to the fair. We have ascertained that no young gentlemen pupils are wanted at present. The San Francisco Daily Morning Call, September 25, 1864. Mortimer again. Charles James Mortimer, who attempted to kill Detective Rose a short time ago, has been seen in the coast range between San Mateo and Spanish Town within the past day or two. He was recognized by two men, and his capture attempted, but he shot one of his assailants in the hand and the other in the foot, and escaped. These facts were ascertained by a telegram from Sheriff Keith of San Mateo County, and Officer Chapel was at once sent down there to look after Mortimer. He telegraphed Captain Lees yesterday that no traces of the missing scoundrel could be found, and that it would be useless to send down a larger force to hunt for him. The country where he was seen is covered for miles with a dense growth of willows, and Mortimer can hide in them and elude pursuit as long as he wants to. He need not lack for animal food, for the district is full of fowls, pigs, sheep, and bullocks, from which he can take his choice at any time under cover of the night. The only sure method of catching him lies in burning the willows, but as this would probably result in the destruction of the crops thereabouts, the farmers will not permit it to be done. The San Francisco Daily Morning Call, September 25, 1864. Accommodating Witness A man was summoned to testify in the police court yesterday, and simply because he said he would swear a jackass was a canary, if necessary, his services were declined. It was not generous to crush a liberal spirit like that. The San Francisco Daily Morning Call, September 25, 1864. The Mint Troubles. A report is abroad that the branch mint is about to close, that the employees, being no longer able to support themselves and families on the mere prospect of getting the salaries due them paid some day or other, have given notice that unless their accounts are previously squared, they will quit work in a body on the thirtieth instant. These reports were not without foundation. We are glad to be able to state, however, that the mint is not going to stop, nor the men be allowed to suffer much longer for the monies due them. Within two weeks, or at farthest three, all cause of complaint will be removed, and the employees themselves have been satisfied of this fact. We get our information at headquarters. The San Francisco Daily Morning Call, September 27, 1864. Boat Salvage One Pinckney, a longshoreman, had some of the crew of a French bark up before the police court yesterday for an assault and battery, alleged to have been committed upon him. 
the Frenchmen testified that a stray boat was drifting toward their vessel, and they received signals from a Bremen bark, to which it belonged, to catch it, which they prepared to do. Pinckney came out after it with his boat, and overtook it just as it touched the bow of the French bark. His mast got entangled in the vessel's chains, and fell over and struck him on the arm. Five French sailors pushed off and took the stray boat away from Pinckney. Pinckney testified that he got the blow on his arm from an oar in the hands of one of the sailors, and when asked if he had any witnesses to prove that such was the case, he said no, that the district attorney told him his arm would be sufficient evidence. The attorney had a precedent. John Phoenix once told of a bull that pulled fifteen hundred logs at one time, and if anyone doubted it, he could go and show him the bull. Pinckney's arm was not considered sufficient evidence of the assault, nor yet his whole anatomy together, and the case was dismissed. The San Francisco Daily Morning Call, September 27, 1864. Nuisance. Mrs. Hall entered complaint against a groggery at the corner of Post and Taylor Streets as a nuisance yesterday in the police court. The case was dismissed. It might not have been, if she had gone to the expense of procuring more legal assistance to prosecute it. The prosecuting attorney is a powerful engine in his way, but he is not infallible. If parties would start him in and let him worm out of the witnesses all the facts that have no bearing upon the case and no connection with it, and whether the offense was committed in the city and county of San Francisco or not, and then have another talented lawyer to start in and find out all the facts that do bear upon the case and are really connected with it, what multitudes of rascals that now escape would suffer the just penalties of their transgressions? With his spectacles on, and his head tilted back at a proper angle, there is no question that the prosecuting attorney is an ornament to the police court, but whether he is particularly useful or not, or whether government could worry along without him or not, or whether it is necessary that a prosecuting attorney should give all his time, or bend all his energies, or throw all his soul into the one thing of being strictly ornamental or not, are matters which do not concern us, and which we have never once thought about. Sometimes he has some of his witnesses there, and isn't that sufficient? End of section 45